Let's thank God. Dear Lord, we're grateful for this time in your word. We ask that you would refresh us each time that our minds would start to track along your will, that it be done on earth as it is in heaven. In your son's name we pray, amen. We're in Luke chapter 8. Now, in Luke chapter 8, the beginning of it, first oh, long section, is the parable of the sower. We're not covering that. We're going to pick up right at the end of the parable of the sower. You're familiar with the parable of the sower. You don't need to be ever told that again, ever. Um, but as I was reading through verse 18 and following, we go through um, Christ's relationship with his mom, um, a uh, uh, calming of the waves, uh, casting out the demons in the guy named Legion, in uh, the Gadarenes or the Gerasenes. And, uh, and it's just sort of like, sometimes, when, I don't know if you've had this experience, but it's generally mine. You're reading through the Gospels, and it just seems to be that whoever the Gospel writer was, he had uh, a shovel, and he filled it full of another story about Jesus and plopped it on your plate, and you read through that, and then he grabs another shovel full and plops it on your plate, and you read through that, and, oh, he did this, and he did that, and he did this and that, and that. And so you don't often, and you can jump, go to those things in sermons, um, and, and context doesn't strike you as, as important. And I'm not sure, I'm not going to say that the context between verse 18 of chapter 8 and verse 39 is all one context. And I'm not, because I'm not saying that Luke is writing it in this way, along this line, through these events, so that you will see what I'm about to say. You will see each point present. I'm not making stuff up. I just don't want you to, I don't, don't want to claim to you that the pattern, the fact that it existed on one page in the Bible, is of import. It may be. But I do want you to ask yourself, what am I supposed to learn when the Gospel writer, St. Luke, tells me this, what am I, what am I supposed to pick up and walk out of this room with. At the end of the parable of the sower, the last verse is verse 18. I left it in here because it sort of is a standalone verse that occurs all sorts of places in the Gospels. It's one of the key things about Christ's teaching that I think the church needs to be much more willing to apply. It says, take heed then how you hear. For to him who has will more be given, and from him who has not even what he thinks that he has will be taken away. That was the conclusion of the parable of the sower. You better check. The big question you have to ask yourself right there at the end of that parable is, am I one of the people who hear? How do I hear? Now, the reason I'm, I'm, I'm going to be asking a series of questions that should be on your plate, and you should, not on some sort of test that the church would give that then you'd have to turn into the church secretary if we had one, 
who would then collate the results and then publish them on our church webpage, which we don't have, uh, that would tell us how we're doing as a group. Now, each one of you, be good for you to stop and go, okay, really, apart from my reputation in the church, apart from what I think would be good for me to be, what have I taken heed to how I hear? What, which of the parable of the sorrow, if I read, went back and read that, which would I be? Rocky ground, thorny ground, pathway, good soil, what's, what's it going to be? Do you hear, and how do you hear when you hear? Verse 19. Then his mother, it's a complete shift of topic. Then his mother and his brothers came to him, but they could not reach him for the crowd. And he was told, your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. Okay, I don't know if you know this, but this is the BVM. This is not your mother waiting for you outside of school. This is the Blessed Virgin Mary. Okay, that's why it's BVM. In, in theological works, oddly enough, in order to honor her, they turn her into an acronym. I don't know if she feels how she feels about that, but the BVM and his brothers, so we got James and probably Judas showing up and some of the others. I think he had some sisters too, but um, they want to see Christ. And Christ shows a lack of, I think, proper American respect for the nuclear family. But he said to them, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. Right on the heels of that telling you at the end of the parable of the sower, take heed to how you hear. The whole story is based on how you receive the word of God. And then he says, you know, even with a couple of future, you might say, epistle writers, canonical epistle writers, Jude and James, both write portions of your New Testament, and the Blessed Virgin, standing outside to see him, he goes, you know, really what's more important to me is if you hear what I say and do what I say. So the next question is, do I hear and do? There are a lot of tricks out there. You can, you can be facing a lot of uh, devices. Because so many times you go to a church that is, say, Bible preaching, which we'd like to be considered. We're a Bible preaching church. Sometimes when you give yourself up to Bible preaching, you think that that, that willingness, that sacrifice alone has made you obedient to the things you hear. That you heard it is not having done it. Watch yourself that you don't claim attendance to a place where they would tell you, I really like him, but pastor, he says what well, sin is sin and what's wrong is wrong and he doesn't take no prisoners. Do you do what is said in the word? Because for Christ's mind, it's important for you to recognize what kind of hearer you are and important for you to recognize how close you are to Christ, more close than James, Jude, and the BVM, if you do what he says. Those, you're his mother, his brothers. It's more important for his family 
Did he have people who listen to him and do what he says? It's a short little section. It'll, what's that? How many words? One, two, three verses. Just shove that in there. Luke uh, said, okay, take care of how you hear. It's better you hear and do. One day, verse 22, he got into a boat with his disciples and he said to them, let's go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out. And as they sailed, he fell asleep. And a storm of wind came down on the lake and they were filling with water and were in danger. And they went and woke him saying, Master, Master, you're perishing. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves and they ceased and there was calm. And he said to them, where is your faith? And they were afraid and they marveled saying to one another, who then is this that he commands even wind and water and they obey him? When we're dealing with these things, we're not just saying, oh, I'm, I'm a seeker after truth, or I'm a hearer of, of good things, and, and I like to put them into practice. When we say, where is your faith? It's not like, why do you lack faith? That's part of it. Where is your faith? In whom is it placed? Where? Because that's what faith is. It is the selection of a power in which you trust. You have trust of a promise. It's who you believe. <clears throat> so not just that I must take care how I hear and make sure that I have integrity in hearing. In other words, I hear and do. That the question of who then is this? Christ on one side says, where's your faith? And they look at him and go, who is this guy? Those are opposite sides of the same coin. You've got to discover who Jesus Christ is. Because they're looking at the situation, and it was interesting to me that it was a circumstance in which the wind and the waves listened and obeyed. He just said, take care how you hear. He then said, who are my brothers and mother? It's those who hear and obey. Get out on the boat. And they're going, who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? He rebuked them. He, what did he say? He awoke and he spoke. Other gospels say, peace be still. He talked to it. Now, I don't know what your cosmology includes. It's going to get weirder in this passage. But um, Jesus seems to feel the need to either, if you're a Christian materialist and you can't believe that the wind and the waves actually sentiently acknowledged what they heard and did what they were told because they acknowledged what they heard. Or whether it was, otherwise, it's just a lesson because he's going to get up in this storm and he's going to go, okay, the disciples need to see this. I'm going to say it, tell it to stop and it's going to stop. And if you, even if you believe it entirely mechanistically, that Jesus has the authority to stop the mechanisms of nature, and he does it like a magician on a stage so that you will see him, you know, I'm about to say this, and when I say this, I'm going to turn the volume down on the storm I created. I, I don't care which one you hold to. 
You know, I, I tend to go towards the more, you know, ancient sort of viewpoint of it actually happened and the wind and the waves listen to them. But I don't think it's problematic. You're still def dealing with who then is this? That this, whatever this is, is that responsive? Where is my faith? Who is it placed in? What is the nature of this phenomena? I've said for years um, that we don't have an adequate acknowledgement of the divine. Um, one of the benefits of ancient pagan religions is an adequate knowledge of the divine. Sure, they worshipped it in temples. Surely had foul rituals. Surely they had idols they bowed down to. But they understood what it was to have the divine. We haven't stopped. We like, for good Protestants, we like having faith alone, so we kind of worship the concept of faith alone. And we're not really... We've simplified Jesus' presence in the world. We've made him definitionally certain things, and we accept that. But there's something about being afraid and marveling and saying, who is this? These are his disciples. They've been traveling around with him, and they just sort of clued in on, who is this? The Gospel of Mark, it seems like that's the theme. If you go read through the Gospel of Mark, Mark seems to be stressing the discovery of who is this. So that's what you need to do. And that's what you need to stop and say, what, what exactly am I saying? When I go to church, when I settle into the body of believers and we affirm the same things and we look askance at somebody who's toying with the LDS sympathies or something. That's not what we believe here. Do you know? Do you know what you're listening to? Do you know the integrity demanded of you and what you learn? Do you know who your God is? Do you know what a God, do what a, a God is? Who your God is? What a God is. Because the wind and the waves obey him. And then it steps right into I did not take any verses out. This is all just stacked in the text, one bit after another. It could have just been Luke was saying, I'm going to get all these vignettes, all these moments that I heard from various people who had listened to Christ in his ministry. They may have done it that way, but it may have been the events as they really happened for the sake of conveying something. Then they arrived in the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. And as he stepped out on land, there he met a man from the city who had demons. Kind of like he had the gout, or he had the measles. He had the demons. For a long time he had worn no clothes. And he lived not in a house, but among the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said in a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beseech you, do not torment me. What's interesting to me as I look at belief, hearing, and doing, who it is I hear and do, 
watching the wind and the waves hear and do. And then show a guy running up to Jesus and he's demon-possessed. So you expect him to say, drink absolute vodka, sleep around, write bad checks. What, what other sins can you think of? They're demons, right? You know, demons say demon things. Well, demon things you say are, what have you to do with me, son of the Most High God? And it says, he cried out and fell down before him. So you get the picture out of, you know, if you ever saw the movie The Exorcist, and a lot of you probably did. It was sort of a, a Catholic view of exorcism. Uh, but getting demons to, to obey, respond. I was reading, because of this text, I... And I know that I probably shouldn't have this in my library, but the Testament of Solomon, which is a demonology of various demons from, I don't know what the date on the document it is, but it's somewhere in the late B.C., early A.D. period, and it's Solomon interrogating all these different demons by name and, and what they're responsible for and where they came from and how to control them and so forth. So I'm, no, I'm not, I'm not wandering off into that sort of thing, but if this has a commonality with it, the absolute submission to God by the demons. Because in the Mark passage, same passage, when it says about the demon falling down, the possessed guy, and when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and worshipped him. The demon-possessed guy ran up, and the falling down, which we think is, oh no, garlic, crucifix, whatever it is, I shy away. No, the demon-possessed guy runs, and his falling down is worship. The demon not just doesn't just understand who he's dealing with, who is this that even the winds and the waves obey him? Demons show up. I know, I know. Not only do I know, I know what the right response is. Now I'm evil, and I don't want to be tormented before the time. It says in James 2 19, even the demons believe. It's not enough. He says, you, you believe God is one? In, 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 in James 2. You believe God is one? You do well? Even the demons believe and shudder. We can, we can believe certain things. We can have clarity about what's in front of us. Jesus, Son of the Most High God. That's a great testimony right there. Jesus. Son of the Most High God. How many times have you referred to Jesus Christ as Jesus, Son of the Most High God? This demon has it worked out. He's got his theology right on point. He doesn't want to do with the Lord. He's got to, he's got to bow. He is reverent. For he had commanded, verse 29, the unclean spirit to come out of the man for many a time. It had seized him. He was kept under guard and 
bound with chains and fetters, but he broke the bonds and was driven by the demon into the desert. Jesus then asked him, what is your name? This is where it tracks with the Testament of Solomon. It's a, and you'll, you'll, you probably have seen this in other situations where the exorcist can demand the name of the demon. And the naming of the demon is important. And he said, Legion, for many demons had entered him. The Legion is 6,000 men. I don't know if the demon was exaggerating. That there were 6,000 demons in this one guy? Maybe. But enough to be called a legion. It's important all along the way, whatever your cosmology in dealing with demons, whether you believe they're still around or whether you don't, but whatever the case, when they did, and they did here, the demon knew who Christ was. Christ demanded to know who the demon was. The wind and the waves obeyed. God is asking everyone else to obey his son. Because obedience, when everything's clear, obedience is, what do they say next, the demons? And they begged him, they, being legion, begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. Whatever the abyss is. It means groundlessness, the bottomless pit. Because abyss is ground, abyss is no ground. So bottomless. They begged because the command was going to be obeyed. Who then is this who can dominate a 6,000 demon-filled crazy man who no one could wrestle to the ground or chain up? And the crazy man who could, no one could chain up is begging, don't command me to the unthinkable. Torment me before the time, it says in one of the other trans, uh, uh, Gospels. Now a large, herd, a large herd of swine was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him to let them enter these. And he gave them leave. It's almost, that's almost Charles II degree of, of allowance. You know, just, ah, go ahead. You want to be in the pigs? Go ahead. I think, I think Jesus is being nice, actually nice to the demons. They said, please don't send us into the abyss. Why do you torment us? How about those pigs? I know we're going to have to leave this guy. How about the pigs? Jesus said, okay, you get the pigs. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the swine, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. And I don't think necessarily that was, ah, Jesus, I got you. Got you to the pigs, then you went and killed yourselves. Could have been. Also could be that that's what the demons do to pigs. There is a, a general uh, notion that demons are drawn, entranced by, or have difficulty with water. When it talks about the demon cast out of the man and he wanders waterless places. You know, that they seek moisture. Ancient exorcists would use basins of water 
to draw demons out of people. Whether or not any of that's true, it could have been all the demon-possessed pigs um, just needed to run into the sea. And the old joke is, first time we dealt with deviled ham. Okay. Thank you. I'll be here all week. Now, what I'm, you know, apart from your cosmology and the things that may be suggested to you, because some of you think that, that this is not today, it may be very well, well be. Others of you think it is, and some of you say, well, I don't want to go Pentecostal, or whatever else might be on the, but whatever it says happened to Christ, and it really did, the legion of, of of demons really did make this request and really did obey Christ and really did listen to him though they did not submit to him. I want you to be thinking about what you, this degree of encounters. Have I heard what's said? Have I understood the integrity that needs to be held about what I hear? Do I know who it is that is talking to me? Where is my faith? And who is it that commands the wind and the waves? Oh, and the demons. Everyone obeys this guy. The herdsmen saw what had happened, and they fled and told it in the city and in the country. Then the people went out to see what had happened. They came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who had seen it told them how he had been possessed with demons, how he who had been possessed with demons was healed. Then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked him to depart from them. Oh yeah, that's the right response. You have a, you, anywhere along this transition. Like the parable we didn't cover at the beginning, the parable of the sower, you know, some goes onto the path and nothing, no penetration. You don't even listen. And the, and the devil comes and takes away the word of God. If you are those who will not listen to, you know, the first choice, take care how you hear. If you don't hear at all, the life of stupid is just going to be yours. You are going to have the issued you might say, karmic effect of what life lived by you is going to create. You start to hear, and in the parable of the sower, there are ways and degrees of hearing that are sidetracked. <coughs> the first one, rocky ground, and then thorny ground. One, both of them receive it. There's enough soil there, there's enough responsiveness there to go, oh yeah, this is something. Who is this guy? Let's follow him. And Jesus got a lot of this. And then the trials, the cares, and the success draw them away. So you could just be, I don't hear it all. I'm not, I don't even know why I'm in church. You know, I, what's the point? What if it's... He just keeps blabbering. What time is it? What, where are we going for lunch? Uh, I sure bad coffee downstairs. Uh, you know, whatever the things are going through your head, 
You're not thinking about the word of God. You're not thinking about the Lord of heaven and earth. You're not thinking of son of the most high God. You're not thinking about demons. You're just thinking about why am I here? My parents are here. That's why I'm here. I can't drive yet. You know, so I got I to gotta go where they go. Or, you know, there's some cute girls here. Yes, we have some cute girls here. One less, I guess now. But others are, are engaged by this. Look at him, wow. This is reasonable. This is, makes sense. This is, yeah, a God. The trials to you. Bad things are going to happen. People you love are going to die. You might get crippled. Something's going to hurt. My elbow hurts. It hurts so much I have to talk to Glenda. She told me more things I have to do. So there's trials to you. And whatever you hear, and whatever you do, and whoever you've met, where's your faith? Who is this? Because when you say, I've heard, and I'm going to do, a trial could step in right there, and if it isn't somebody like Jesus Christ you've met, the Son of the Most High God, you actually think, well, the trial, I don't know, I know that's, I know religion is important, when it's religion is important, but it's still me. My trials, I'm going through. The way you deal with that is you have to discover who is this that even the wind and the waves obey? Who is this that 6,000 demons and a guy, whatever the number, plead with him to make the command easy to follow? Because otherwise, trials, I did mention that it happened to you. No, it wasn't trials that happened to somebody else in some other family or some other state. It was a trial that happened to you. That's the one that really matters. And the cares of the world to you. The delight in riches, your riches. Your cares, your trials, your successes to you and unless who he is, where is your faith? Unless who he is comes out of your mouth like out of a demon's mouth, Jesus, son of the most high God. Because if you say, Jesus, son of the most high God, not because it's magical, but because you said, this man, this Jew, 2,000 years ago, walked the earth, was the son of the living God. Really? To where even winds and waves obey him. Your option is to be afraid. I have a, a note here. My son said the other night, John, was saying how I quoted in my world the, the, the classics, which are Monty Python. And so what do we have here? So what are you going to do? Brave, brave Sir Robin. Now those of you who know the classics, what is brave Sir Robin? Uh, Known for? Running away. They fled. They were afraid. And that's what you're going to have to do. You're going to have to find another church. Thank you very much. Good, good luck with that. I, or no church at all. That's what you're going to have to do. Because if you hear, 
if you understand the intent, if you know what you're running into here, whether or not there's demons being cast out Sunday to Sunday is not important. It is, who is this? This church serves Jesus Christ. Now, are you going to ask him to leave? That's what the people in the garrisons did. Asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. They actually saw what was going on. He solved a big local problem. But when you get rid of demons like that, it means something about the guy who got rid of them. It seems like it's all upside here, right? You've had a guy who's been out in the graveyard, hitting himself with stones, unable to be controlled, wild, for a long time. And now he's sitting in his right mind, fully clothed, listening to Jesus' teaching. Why are they afraid? Because when you answer the question, who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? Those cares of yours, those trials of yours, those successes of yours, you're nobody. Because this is a God who even the wind and the waves obey. This is a God that 6,000 demons sit down in committee and go, oh, don't hurt us. Whether you believe in demons or not, what would happen if you ran into somebody who was really, really demon-possessed? With that kind of voice, where the voice changes into something. You're wet in your pants, right? One demon. Because you know who you are. And you realize that the demon. Jesus is going, all right, go into the pigs. See if I care. The demons bow down to this agent. That's why they're afraid. Would you please leave? You're the kind of person everyone has to bow down to. We like certain things. We'd like to have a religion that we've arranged with every one of my urges fully accepted. That's what you see in the church today. Trying to design churches that accept every one of your, you know, all, all the women finding their feminist ideal and all the men being able to be angry and pugnacious. Whatever it is. You're finding the things we want to be and we'll arrange it to be in the church because we don't want to listen to Jesus Christ and go, he can command everything. You're going to have to ask him to stop. And you're going to do that all sorts of ways. The other option, verse 38, the man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him. But he sent him away saying, return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. Your two things that you want to do on the other side is be with Christ or declare Jesus Christ. That's... When you find out who it is that the wind and the waves obey. Demons worship. 
Even the BVM doesn't have standing. It's the people that listen to him because of who he is. That every one of your urges, all your cares, all your trials are nothing. Your God is good. No matter what happens to you, the bad things that happen to you, the good things that happen to you. Compared to this, to be with him, that you beg to be with him. And he might say now, when Paul deals with that, at one point in his life he says, you know, I, I wanted to be with Christ, or I stay and be a benefit to the church, convinced that I should be a benefit. Do you want to be with Christ? How is that that lived out? Well, one, you become a student of this thing. Not because it's a magical book, but because it tells you about this being who is son of the Most High God. And you will learn incredible things about how he thinks. And you'll either be frightened or you'll want to be with it. So let's thank God. Dear Lord, we're very grateful. You've been kind to us. Grateful that you have stepped into our lives. We'd ask that we would listen, we'd understand what kind of hearers we are, that we we would understand the integrity of doing what we hear, finding our God in your Son. Keep us from trying to remove him from the scene. In your son's name we pray. Amen.